You are listening to the Extraordinary Events Podcast with Dr. K, episode 35, hosted by your events with Danielle Winchester. Welcome to the Extraordinary Events Podcast, where we aim to educate, inspire, and empower individuals who wish to design transformational experiences. Now, your host, event education champion, Dr. Kristen Mallet. Hello, hello, everyone. I have such a treat for you all today. Today, I am speaking with a former student forever friend, Danielle Winchester. She has been rocking and rolling in this time of COVID in a rather unique area in our industry. Now, most people listening today are aware of the trade show industry. There's a large trade show industry or business to business industry. But Danielle works in a specific segment of the industry where she plans hosted buyer summits. And I know she will share about that more throughout this podcast. I am so, so, so excited to share her with the world for you all today. Thank you again so much, Danielle, for being on the podcast. Please tell all of our amazing listeners who you are, a little bit about your background and what you do now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So like you said, uh, my name is Danielle and I am an event planner based out of Kansas City, Missouri. And I had my time in college at Kansas State University, and I did a lot of country club internships throughout college, got my degree in hospitality management with a focus on events and double minor in public relations and business. And uh, now I focus in hosted buyer summits living in Kansas City, and it's a great time. Well, I want to say thank you again, Danielle, for being here and for agreeing to do this podcast with me. One of the things that I find interesting is a lot on our Tuesday episodes, we talk about the Intro to Events class. And then on Thursday, actually, most of the industry interviews that I've had are former students from my advanced class. And so I had you as a student in my advanced capstone class when I worked at K-State. And I just want to talk about that class on this podcast for a little bit. So if you would, could you share your capstone class experience with our listeners today? Talk about what you did and what your role was? Yeah, I'd love to. So first of all, thank you for that class. Um, That class was absolutely one of my favorite classes in college. And I do tell people about it. I tell industry professionals about it. And the reason that I do that is because I would say confidently that I learned the bulk of my event information, like what I'd actually be applying to my profession in that class versus my other classes. Um, but I, we had a Renaissance festival in that class and I did not think that for a grade, I would ever be planning a Ren Fest. Um, but we did. So we were split into four different groups. It was like marketing operations, special events, and something else that I can't remember. It's been like three plus years. Uh, and we all got to decide which group we felt we fit more into. And I've always really geared towards special events. It's what I enjoy doing the most. And so I immediately tried to get into that group. I got into that group and then I was made the head of that group, which was a lot of fun. Um, and we had to put together this Renfest with like virtually no budget. Um, 
no location, no concept. Like none of us had ever been to a Ren Fest. Step one was to actually go to a Ren Fest where we dressed up as characters. It was a lot of fun being called a wench by strangers. And so we ended up uh, planning this Ren Fest in the middle of Manhattan, Kansas in the city park. And we got like I think over a thousand, maybe over 2000 people. I can't remember now actually attend this fair, get their turkey leg, which we ran out of several times. We had to improvise because we couldn't find jousters. I don't know why I'm surprised about that, but apparently nobody jousts anymore. So we had to do Monty Python jousting and like enlist the help of our friends in the improv troupe, which went about as well as it sounds like it did, but people really enjoyed it. Um, and it was cold and it was fun and we had a great time and I learned so much during just planning a Ren Fest and then we ended up even working with PCMA to help plan the uh, PCMA Heartland State of the Industry Address in November of that year. My job was to plan uh, the floor plan at the event which was a lot more labor intensive than it sounds and I realized oh this is going to be my life so I better learn how to do this floor plan part well so I can kick butt at it at every job and every event I do hereafter. Well, it's so funny. I wish I could go back and talk to all the other people I've already had on the podcast and then have them tell me their advanced events experience because I actually do a completely different event every single semester I teach that class. Seriously though, y'all kick so much butt. If you think about it, you had six to eight weeks to plan an entire event from scratch, an event most of you hadn't even heard of before. You had to do the research, the site selection. You secured over 30 vendors from multiple states. It was in the news. It was such a big deal. And then after that class, we handed it off to the client for them to execute themselves the next year. Seriously, it was so much fun. So Danielle, after that class, then you needed to have your third internship as required in the program before you graduated. And I tell people your internship story all the time. Would you please tell the listeners today all about your internship experience and especially the application process? I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So the internship that you are referring to in particular, um, we're going to do a little flashback to just a couple months after the conclusion of the Renaissance Festival, actually. Um, one of my absolute best friends in the world um, had an internship in Houston. So I wanted an internship in Houston so I could be near him. And I was really gunning for this internship with this company. I thought that I had it. Uh, it was like a six week long process, which is a long time for an internship. And then they called me and said that I didn't get it. So I decided to get incredibly drunk. And all I know is that while I was plastered, I said, I need to go apply for a bunch of internships that I know I'm not qualified for so that when I get rejected from those, at least I feel like I've earned that rejection. And one of those event internships was with the United Nations Foundation in Washington, DC. So I applied for it. I was like, I'm not gonna hear back from this or any of these other companies. And then a few, like fast forward a few months later, I'm in Australia visiting a friend and I get a phone call three in the morning, Australia time. And it's this woman and she says, hi, my name's insert name here. And I'm with the United Nations Foundation. We got your application and I'm really interested in having you as an intern. Now, keep in mind, I am groggy. I have um, jet bag and it's the middle of the night there. And so 
I was like, yeah, what? You want me? And she's like, yes, um, is this a bad time? And I was like, no, please don't hang up. And I had to pretend like I wasn't like half asleep and get through this call. And I ended up getting that internship and they liked me enough that they let me choose to defer it until after I graduated, which would have been like nine months later instead of doing it that summer. Cause they called me in May and they wanted me to do it for the summer. And I wasn't prepared and I'd already accepted an internship offer in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So they let me defer it. And it was one of the greatest experiences. I just love that story so much. I tell all my students and recent graduates, I say, here's the story of this former student who's just absolutely amazing. And I say, let the companies tell you no before you say no to yourself. But I just love that story so much because not only did you think you weren't even remotely qualified for it, but then you ended up being so wanted and in demand that they let you defer it, which they never do. Okay, so Danielle, then you graduated and you moved back to Kansas City. Tell us what you're doing now and maybe explain it in regular terms so that our listeners can follow along in case they haven't heard of your particular niche industry before. Yeah. So after my time in DC had concluded, which was a great experience, I ended up moving to Kansas City to accept a job, which originally was trade show based um, with a company. And then that company pretty much immediately got acquired. And I ended up at the beginning of 2020 going into hosted buyer summits, which was something that maybe had been mentioned in one of your classes before. So a hosted buyer summit essentially is like speed dating for companies and buyers. So it's difficult to imagine how somebody who drives a truck for a living, they have to keep that truck stocked with things, with batteries, with flooring, with lights. Where do they get those things? Well, there's companies that market specifically to other people in the industry, and it's called B2B marketing, business to business marketing. Um, And so we do these B2B-based hosted buyer summits where we bring those buyers to the sellers and we match them together and it's very cute and they get to build those relationships which versus a trade show, which I've also worked in, um, a trade show is you have your booth, you pitch your product to anyone who walks by and those who are interested, uh, you know, accept it. It's kind of like keeping with the speed dating thing. That's kind of like a dude who swipes right on everyone on Tinder and those who swipe left on the uh, other side match with him. That's what a trade show's like. Uh, For a hosted buyer summit, it's like match.com where we take your interests and we put them together or okay, Cupid. So, and this is a real analogy that I use with people in my day-to-day life who have no idea what I'm trying to convey, but everybody knows dating apps. So I don't know what to say about that. We bring those buyers to those sellers on that platform. In a normal world, they are intended to be quick and dirty. As in you're there for two to three days. It's a full schedule for everyone, attendee and supplier representative alike, where you have your matched lunches, where you sit with people that you have interest in speaking to because you expressed interest beforehand on like essentially a dating profile where you say, I'm interested in this, 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 not that, not that. And you have those matched lunches, those matched dinners, those one-to-one meetings throughout the entire summit. And 
Um, not knocking on trade shows. I certainly enjoy hosted buyer summits more. Uh, I think that a lot of that for me though, is when I was doing trade shows, they were in the thousands of people. Um, our hosted buyer summits are usually around the hundred mark, including supplier representatives and attendees. And it's nice that at the end of that three days, I can call people by their first name and I'm not just reading their name batch. Um, so that's what I landed on now after the acquisition. Uh, however, as we all know, around two months, three months into this year, a pandemic hit, so I've heard. And as a result, uh, we had to completely change up our platform. And here we are almost a year later, and I have about the same amount of experience in virtual events as a professional as I do in in-person events. No, really? There was a pandemic? News to me. <laughs> So I hear there's two types of event professionals right now. There's one type that's either furloughed or laid off, and then there's another type that's overworked. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I have a lot of experience in virtual events, and I don't think that people really truly realize how much more labor-intensive virtual events are. What's been your experience just with the time and involvement in designing and executing a good virtual event? Yeah, great question. So... Initially, at the beginning of the pandemic in America, we said, let's just push all of our events to the latter half of the year, understand it's going to be a heavy uh, Q3 and Q4. And for now, we just sit and wait. And as we were sitting and waiting, it became more and more apparent that that wasn't going to work if we wanted to keep our jobs. And we had to make that decision between being overworked and exhausted or being unemployed. And that it's not a good place to be. And ultimately, you know, my team is full of some of the hardest workers I've ever met. And we said, we have to adapt or we die. So we decided to adapt and move virtual. And we began going virtual in July. And again, hoping at the time that we'd get to December and our events would be live. And then we said, even if the world is different, a vaccine's out, people are more comfortable being in person, we are going to go through the rest of 2020 virtually, if for no other reason than to sharpen those skills, because what if this happens again? And that became a challenge, getting people to attend these summits, both on the supplier and attendee side alike, because suppliers look at this and they hear that. And then getting those companies to understand that this is a different platform, their product is still just as good as it was before, and we don't sign bad products. So they just have to convince the people that we've already convinced to come, well, we already know that their products are worth their time. It's a lot harder when you're not having a drink with somebody, um, just generally speaking, uh, whether it's a water or whether it's a martini, it's a lot easier to build that relationship with somebody when you're next to them. Um, but I feel like our company's done a really good job of keeping it as authentic as possible. That's so good to hear. Yeah, it's so fascinating because if you do any research right now, trade shows are not really doing well. The exhibitors in general are not happy. They've chosen not to participate. And it's actually really fascinating because almost 100% of the success of a trade show or summit completely comes down to the organizing company and what they build into it. It's not like a traditional trade show where people buy a booth and then you just handle the logistics and it's really up to those booth salespeople to pull people in. Now it's really kind of the planner to facilitate that engagement to train those salespeople, but then also to set expectations and build things in for engagement and to drive attendance to those booths. Now your host to buyer summits are a little different. 
Can you tell me how those experiences are and how your attendance is? Yeah, so you're absolutely correct that planners have to take on more than they would have ever before. Uh, I told you earlier before we began the podcast, actually, that I've never cried at an event before from stress. And that's true. I actually cried during my first virtual event that I was executing as a, as a planner. And um, we can get into problems about, you know, virtual events versus in-person events later if we want to. It really is a lot that goes into it. And my life when it was in person at the beginning of this year was the event operation stuff that I thought it would be in college. It was building out BEOs and it was searching for venues and it was signing those contracts and picking out spaces within the hotel to do this, that, and the other. And my life completely changed when it became not just that in planning for 2021, but additionally, calling attendees to get them to come and convince them that this is worth their time and working with suppliers more to convince them as well that this is worth their time and their money as well. And I have never been so overworked. I can confidently say that. And that's not the fault of my company or my team. I have the best team and a great company. It's just the fault of that's of the world, of the universe. That's what it is. That's what you have to be these days. I absolutely hate that you cried, but honestly, it must have been such a good outlet for your stress in that moment. But now that you mentioned it, problems. We all have that horror story, every one of us. If you had to pick one horror story to share with the listeners today, what would that story be? So I'm going to actually tell two stories and I'll keep them both brief enough so it adds up to the time of one. Uh, and one's an in-person story and one will be a virtual story. So the in-person story is uh, at a country club and it was a wedding. And I was in charge of this part of the wedding and I had asked two of the banquet servers to bring out the wedding cake. And they start rolling out the wedding cake and I had the worst moment of my life as I watched it fall over in front of the bride and groom. And my heart stopped. Like I am, oh. I panicked. What was I going to do? This was my only job. And I, I don't don't know, the heavens were on my side because one of the groomsmen went up to the fallen cake. This all happened. It felt like a million years, but it happened very quickly and picked up a piece of the cake and turned around and threw it at the groom. And the groom jumped over the table and they turned it into a food fight and the bride was in on it. It was this whole thing. And I knew I was going to have to clean this up. I didn't care. I was like, oh my, they spent so much money on this cake. So I ran to the back and I went into the refrigerated section and I pulled out this poor kid's bar mitzvah cake for the next day. And I took a knife and I scraped the top off, all the icing off and just smoothed it out and brought it out so they would have a cake to serve. And so that they could feed one another and do the cute thing. And then I had to, I told my manager and she had told the pastry chef, you're going to have to come in early and remake the bar mitzvah cake. Sorry. But that was my like panic moment. And thank goodness they were having such a good time food fighting. I think about that moment and still, I don't know what I would have done if they hadn't made it funny um, or if the bride had been a bridezilla about it for lack of a better term, but it worked out the way it was supposed to work out. And then my virtual story years later, um, when I think that that's the worst it can get, and it certainly isn't, it was our my first virtual event as the ops head in September of this year. And about five minutes before our platform was supposed to go live on the second day of this summit, the website went down. 
And that was horrible getting calls and texts and emails from people saying, Hey, I'm trying to get into the site and I can't get in. I'm like, what do you mean you can't get in? And they were right. It said 404 loading error. So we had to contact the platform, which was dealing with this on all of their simultaneous events. And it's not a big company that runs this platform. So those poor people, great people, but they, I feel so bad for them. Um, they had to deal with us and everyone else getting our platform live again. And Essentially, it was just a lot of picking up those pieces as the rest of the event went on because people ended up bailing on the event on the attendee side because they said the website's down. What else am I supposed to do? And they have no investment financially. So why would they stay? Ultimately, it resulted in us putting band-aids over a problem and it ended up working out okay. It took a long time to get people the meetings that they were promised and get people the content that they were promised. And there's nothing we could do about that. Our events since then have been entirely smooth. That being said, that was a nightmare as well. I had that same feeling as I did and had my heart fall into my stomach. It was like watching the cake fall and it is what it is. There's nothing you can do. What a strong visual. I cannot even imagine what I would have done. Danielle, I have absolutely loved hearing all of your stories today. I know that we stay in touch through different social media platforms, and I know you listen to the podcast, so thank you so much for that. I am happy I was able to have you on the podcast today and catch up with you beforehand. So as we wrap up the podcast, do you have any final thoughts or messages that you want to share with our listeners around the globe? For sure. So I think my final thought or message would be that generally speaking, there are risk takers and there are people who are not risk takers. And by an event planner's very nature, we tend to be risk takers. And I think that that's a good thing. The more seasoned and the more experienced I become, and from what I've seen, the more experienced people become, the more risk averse they are. And they're more risk averse because they understand and they've seen consequences to their actions. And that is dangerous because that makes you less likely to go out on limbs and less likely to try new things you wouldn't have tried before. And that was a very long-winded way to basically say risks aren't a bad thing. Uh, Take them, but always have plans B through Z in case they fall through. What great advice. Danielle, you are amazing, and I am so thankful you are in my life. Thank you so much for your time and wisdom today. I hope I'll see you at the next PCMA Heartland Chapter meeting in Kansas City. I want to thank you for your time, and I also want to thank all of our listeners for taking the time to make the time. I'll talk with you soon. Thank you for listening to the Extraordinary Events Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode.